This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about lingonberries. Yes, which I love that you responded to my claim. I could have sworn we already had done this with that you searched it. And Klingon was the thing that showed up because that helped me remember how to spell it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lingon, Klingon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. If you ever need to rhyme Klingon with anything, you're welcome. And yeah, yeah, that was the only hit that I got in our meta spreadsheet. So, so here we are. Yes. Yes. Uh, was there any particular reason this was on your mind, Lauren? Um, it had been languishing in our ideas sheet for goodness knows how long. Uh, thanks, by the way, to listener Emma for the suggestion. I don't know if you still listen, uh, but we appreciate you. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, I cannot say I've ever had these. Oh, really? Not even like at Ikea? No. Um, I've only been to Ikea once. Really? Uh, <laughs> How have you escaped it? <laughs> I with, with everything I have, Lauren. That's all <laughs> no, I didn't have a bad experience. Uh, but during, um, I know during National Novel Writing Month, mm -hmm. NaNoWriMo, uh, in Atlanta, they used to hold the opening ceremony uh, where you would go and write at ikea and so yeah. i had many ambitions oh. to go oh, hmm. and they would have it at the food court um in which you might enjoy this berry is it a berry <laughs> oh no oh i've been burned before you have um, oh no well where you could go and enjoy it huh. uh and i never i've never eaten at the food court at ikea okay but, all right well yes uh well yes um that is probably the first time that I encountered it. And then uh, 
Yeah, I, I think a roommate got me a jar of jam one time when they were at Ikea and I was not. I don't think I've ever opened that jar, and that was a solid 10 plus years ago, so. <laughs> wow. Can, canned goods are canned goods are sturdy, however. <laughs> sturdy. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe you should seek it out. Um, see if it is still good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can see our past episodes on Cloudberries. Cranberries. Have we done one on blueberries? I feel like we have. I think so. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. I love blueberries, so I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about blueberries for Sal, so here we are. <laughs> yes, here we are. I guess that brings us to our question. Sure. Lingonberries. What are they? Well, uh, lingonberries are a type of small, bright red fruit that grow in cold, harsh climates. Yes, they are botanically a berry. Um, they're a juicy, sweet tart with an emphasis on the tart and a little bit bitter. So they're often sweetened and cooked down into like a compote or jam or syrup and then used to bring a bright touch to everything from sweet drinks and creamy desserts to savory meats and other heavy dishes. They're like a, they're like cranberries, smaller, rounder, even more northern cousin. Um, they're like they're like this tiny bright flash in, in the deep dark of winter woods. Ooh, that mm. sounds intriguing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, botanical name, um, Vaccinium vitus idaea? Idaea. Sure, I don't know Latin. Uh, yeah, uh, lingonberries are in the heath or heather family. Uh, they share that genus with a lot of other tasty little buddies like cranberries, blueberries, bilberries, and huckleberries. And there is argument about whether they all belong together like that, and research into genetics and ancestry is ongoing. But anyway, uh, yes, lingonberries grow on this kind of low, shrubby, evergreen plant that spreads in clusters based on underground rhizomes and shooting roots. The plant will have above ground uh, glossy, dark green leaves, just over like half an inch oval. Uh, that's like a centimeter or so. They'll tint deep burgundy in the winter when they're less likely to need green chlorophyll because there won't be much sun because they do love these cold, far north, like temperate to boreal to even tundra environments with like kind of permanently damp, chilly sort of soils. They survive best where snowfall blankets them and keeps them warm over winter. Uh, the rhizomes help store nutrients for use during that time. And the leaves are, like, pretty cute, so the plant is sometimes used as, a, as an attractive ground cover. It also blooms in the summer with clusters of these small pinkish bell-shaped flowers that remind me a little bit of, like, pink snowdrops. Uh, and, and those flowers, uh, if pollinated, usually by bees, will develop uh, each into a single small fruit. Given a long enough spring and summer, some types will bloom and bear fruit twice a year. However, like many plants with underground storage, they'll only start flowering and fruiting during their second year of life. Um, they spend that first year building up their, their resources in those rhizomes. The fruit's thin skin is this bright crimson red when they're ripe, and the flesh inside will be kind of pinkish and uh, sort of spongy, juicy, with a few tiny pockets for even tinier edible seeds. They are quite tart, but will get sweeter the longer that they're, the longer that they're left on the plant um, or the colder that it gets. They're also a little bit puckery tannic, yeah. Uh, 
they are often collected in the wild. They're not that widely cultivated. Um, they, there is also a specialized tool for hand harvesting them. It's a, it's a hand rake, a kind of like scoop bucket with a handle on top and this large comb along the underside with a rounded prongs sticking out on one end. So it helps like separate the berries and lift them off the stems without having to pluck each tiny fruit, which sounds very tedious. So huzzah. Good for, good for a hand rake. Uh, the berries can be, and in fact are, pressed for juice, which can be added to drinks like lemonade or made into wine or liqueurs. However, uh, lingonberries' combination of acidity and having lots of pectin means that they're really useful in cooking because they naturally thicken. Uh, pectin is this fiber that's found in the cell walls of some plants, and it's pretty happy to like form up into a matrix that can trap and hold onto water, and thus form a gel from soft to pretty stiff. Uh, and a low pH helps that process, so being acidic is cool. Yeah. Lingonberries are thus good for adding to other fr fruits if you're making jams or jellies or compotes. Because they are sweet tart, lingonberries are often cooked into condiments for uh, rich savory dishes to bring that like punch of fruity brightness in. Um, in Nordic cultures, a lingonberry jam or compote often accompanies sausages, game meats, and potato dumplings. That's just one example. These condiments are also good paired with dairy, as in ice creams or yogurt, or desserts like crepes or baked goods or chocolates, or just like um, on top of a breakfast porridge, something like that. They might be used pretty much on their own, like as they are, probably sweetened a bit, or paired with seasonings like orange or lemon zest or juice, warm spices like black pepper, allspice, or ginger, herbs like rosemary, thyme, or juniper, or like a hit of a gin or sherry. Yeah, sherry, which makes sense given the herbs that I just listed. They can also be pickled for tangy rather than a sweet condiment, and I have not had them in that preparation, and I'm fascinated. Need to know about it. Okay, anyway. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um... Etymology note, there are a lot of different local names for lingonberries. Many of them in English kind of start with the word cranberry and then differentiate them somehow, as in a mountain cranberry or moss cranberry, as they often grow on mountaintops or around mosses. But then there are a whole series of other animal-based names in English for them, which I don't, I can't. I'm not sure. So, okay, you've got like foxberry, partridgeberry, cowberry, wolfberry, quailberry, beaverberry, cougarberry. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I guess, you know, those are northern-ish animals. I have to say, in researching this episode, uh, this was kind of a panic-inducing moment for oh, me. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Uh, because I'm like, do I need to search the history of, of each all one. Of these, mm. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I will be straightforward and say I did not. Uh, I did do like a little dabbling, but ah, that was just too much. Too much, listeners. Yeah, yeah. That it, it. It is a lot. I feel like I haven't found. I feel like we haven't covered a plant that has quite that many names in different local cultures as this one. And that and that was and I was only covering English. There are mm -hmm. a lot of other languages <laughs> in the world other than English despite what many English speakers seem to think. Uh so uh mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um also fun with etymology in parts of Sweden and Finland you might refer 
to your menstrual cycle with a word that literally means your lingonberry week. You're like week of lingonberry. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. All right. Uh, well, what about the nutrition? Yes, we are ostensibly a food show. Um, by themselves, uh, lingonberries are pretty good for you. Not too sugary and with a good punch of fiber and a good spread of micronutrients. So they'll help fill you up, but do keep you going. Pair with a protein and a fat. Of course, once you add like a whole bunch of sugar, that's a kind of different thing. But yeah, yeah. They have long been used medicinally, including for preventing scurvy, which of all things will definitely work. Um, other things probably need a little bit more research before we can say definitively. Um, some studies in mice have found that consuming unsweetened lingonberry products can have positive effects on kidney function. I didn't, I didn't look too deep into other studies that are being done. Other studies are being done. Uh, but in general, you know, Saver motto, uh, our bodies are complicated. More research does need to be done before ingesting a medicinal amount of anything. You should consult a medical professional. And that's not us. No. No. No, it is not. Yep, we're um, just here for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> funsies and money. <laughs> <laughs> and the love of the job. Um, mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. We do. Okay. In the wild, these berries are scattered and a popular food for birds and mammals other than humans. As of 2003, only some 10 to 40 percent of wild lingonberries were being harvested. Sweden was the largest producer at that time, um, though because they are harvested wild, the amounts harvested per year can vary like a lot, like some 2,000 tons in some years, some 20,000 tons in other years. Uh, most harvested there and in Finland, which is another major producer, um, is for local consumption. However, at the time, as much as 10% of the local food exports out of Finland were lingonberry products. So yeah, still a major, major product. Um, Russia rounded out the top three producers then, um, but yeah, lingonberries are also found anywhere else that's cold and northern enough, really, like uh, North America, Japan, Germany. Again, as of 2003, Swedes were consuming about two pounds of lingonberries each every year. Uh, uh, Finns, about 2.6 pounds. However, uh, the, the cultivation and markets for the fruit in other places a little bit further south were growing at the time. Yes. Yes. Um, and there's quite a history quite a history behind these berries, which I'm very glad to learn that they are actually berries. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like near, nearly positive. There was like one thing that said that they were false berries, but I don't, I don't think, I think I understand oh, no. botany and I think that they're berries. Oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to cling to their berries. Okay. <laughs> Love that. Them and bananas right there. Same thing. Yeah. Okay. Botanically cool. speaking. Mm -hmm. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> they've got quite a long history is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> They do. Uh, they, they do. They do. And we are going to get into that history as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, if you couldn't tell, there is still some discussion happening about lingonberries. I read (sighs) multiple... (laughs) Dense research papers about the genetic history of lingonberries. Oh. And I got to the end, and I can tell you they are old. That's essentially what I left with. Mm-hmm. I think someone more well versed in a lot of those graphs and a lot of that terminology could give you a lot more. So if you want to find that, you can. But I will say, uh, I'm not alone because the general consensus at the end of these papers seemed to be, uh, there are still questions. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, that is absolutely the thing. And like part of the issue from, from the brief things that I was reading is that like different genetic duplication events happened in some of their ancestors uh, multiple times. So yeah. like everyone is kind of like, this is hard to track down. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but it is really fascinating. It's really fascinating stuff. Uh, but Yes, as you said, research is ongoing Mm -hmm. uh, into it. 
but yeah, I can say that they're they're very old, um, and that uh, different varieties of lingonberries originated uh, where they grow in the wild. Now that seems to be the general idea mm-hmm. uh, that they came away with from these research papers that I read. Um, so that would be parts of Europe, Asia, North America that fit the climate that they thrive in. Mm-hmm. Also, yes, there are a lot of varieties, so that kind of makes it tricky. Yeah, yeah. In the past, they they were more separated, but then I feel like more recent research has shown that they shouldn't really be separated out that much. But the plants are a little bit botanically different. So, yeah. Whee! <laughs> Mysteries, histories, um, yes. <laughs> botanies, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need another saying for botanies. What rhymes with botany? Um, we'll, we'll get back to you on that. Uh, lingonberry. <laughs> they do have a long history of being used by indigenous peoples in the areas that it does grow naturally. Um, and it was consumed in a host of ways. It was used as a relish, as a juice, in desserts, uh, frozen, preserved in jams, or as an accompaniment to meats and fish. Um, These berries were likely used medicinally as well, along with the leaves, for a range of issues. Um, They also might have been used to dye things or as a decoration or maybe something to add to tobacco. Yes. A few sources I read suggested that lingonberries were popular amongst Russian royals, uh, though Catherine the Great often gets the credit for being the first to grow the plant uh, just for the berries, or rather ordering her staff to do it, probably. Yeah, Um, probably. (laughs) Yes. Apparently, she really liked them uh, to go alongside meat dishes in the summer. And so her subordinates collected lingonberry plants around St. Petersburg and transplanted them so that they would grow in the royal summer gardens so that she could have them. I did have a lot of trouble finding definitive dates and sources for lingonberries, uh, but it seems that in areas where they grow naturally, they were particularly popular in jams and alongside meat. Perhaps one of the most famous examples for many of us in the U.S. would be in places like Sweden, uh, yes, uh, where the jam is served next to things like Swedish meatballs, amongst a lot of other stuff. But for us in the U.S., I think that's probably one we think of. Mm -hmm. Um, A recipe for lingonberry syrup goes back to an 1837 Swedish cookbook and a 1742 document out of Sweden references trading of lingonberries. Okay. And it does make sense that the jam form took off there. It's an easy way to preserve them. Uh, they are a bit tough to eat without doing at least something to soften them up. Not to mention they're like tart and bitter, so adding the sugar helps. So jam. Another source I found uh, said that cutting down trees and letting in sunlight uh, into places that had previously been shielded in Sweden in the early 1900s allowed for prolific growth of lingonberries. So you got more lingonberries, you're making more jam. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> they they do like sunlight from what I've read. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and I guess this brings us to our very brief IKEA <laughs> Swedish meatballs aside. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yes, if you don't know, the huge multinational furniture plus other stuff Swedish corporation IKEA has a food court. Mm-hmm. And it serves things like Swedish meatballs with lingonberry jam. Uh, they've been serving food at their location since the 1960s as a way to keep customers in their stores longer. Mm-hmm. But it was in 1985 the Swedish meatballs were introduced to their menu with this lingonberry jam. Okay, so apparently in 2018, 
there was a hubbub on social media about the fact that Swedish meatballs served at Ikea weren't actually traditionally Swedish. Mm-hmm. But everyone seemed to agree that the lingonberry jam was traditionally Swedish. Yeah. Um, there, I think more traditionally, there are other ground meat, like 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 spiced ground meat dishes that are not what we think of when we think of Swedish meatballs, which are this very specific like ground meat in a gravy situation. Yeah, that there are other sausage-esque, like fresh sausage-esque dishes that lingonberry jam would be, would, would go along with. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would love to come back and revisit this one day. Never really thought about how interesting it is that they have a food court. I did visit their headquarters when I was in Sweden. Oh. At the time I was interning with the European Union. I can't remember why I was there, but I remember that the headquarters were very, very nice. Okay. (laughs) There was food and there were drinks and there were massages. Wow. Um, Okay. I did not get the massage, but they were available. Um, So if anybody's been or knows about that... (laughs) Right in. Food, food of Ikea, different episode. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. So I have a couple random varietal facts here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kerala, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, the first cultivated variety was chosen in Holland in 1969. So that's how recent we're talking about when we're talking about cultivated. Cultivated. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the varieties that I saw were dating from the 80s. So Right. Um, and soon after that, uh, German breeders of lingonberries, they they followed suit and they arrived at a handful of varieties. And one of them, Ernst Sagan, Ernst Sagan, apparently was named from by a man uh, who was walking his dog in Germany. And he saw this variety with particularly big berries, which I love <laughs> that every version I read of this was like he was walking his dog. He was walking his dog and... <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong, but, uh, but so many of these kind of historical stories, I'm like, huh. <laughs> I mean, it's a good time to look at plants. I <laughs> truth, <laughs> truth. I've tried. I've tried to get more. I've tried to go back outdoors more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I today I was out and I saw so many people walking their dogs and just looking at plants. I was like, so it's possible. Yeah, sure. Entirely possible. <laughs> I'm just saying. I really only found that. There's nothing else I could do to verify that fact. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Yes. And unfortunately, that's how much of this history section is. I couldn't really find much to verify or get more than this. But uh, I would love to hear from listeners. If you have any information, recipes. Unfortunately, my greatest source was Ikea. Uh, wow. Wow. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I found a couple other things, but they were very, they were much more like in the how to grow them. Right. Around. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that this is one of those, you know, locally grown products that, that right, because it was, or it still is harvested wild so much of the time, so much of its culture depends on these remote, isolated peoples who we we don't necessarily have written histories from all the time. Right. But to reiterate, there are scientists who are doing a lot of work to uh, sequence genetically uh-huh. uh, lingonberries. 
didn't really help me with the history, but it was fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so there's stuff being done. There's still stuff being done is what I'm saying. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, if you have, oh my goodness, if you have anything to help us fill in any of these blanks, we would love to hear from you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, in the meantime, we do have some listener mail already for you. Oh, we do. And we're going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener. Like snow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your, your descriptions always inspire me, Lauren. 
<clears throat> Arik wrote, Apple butter is my favorite jam, jelly, preserve type topping. The variety and flavorings, depending on the apples and spices used, how chunky or smooth, makes it so much fun. It is one I'll just eat a spoonful of. As you mentioned, it does work well on a cheese plate. Try it on latkes instead of applesauce. I would be interested in trying some of that apple butter with the cinnamon red hots to see what it does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. More cheese, please. I love gorgonzola as well as all of the blue cheeses. Stinky cheese is wonderful. We'll make sure we have all kinds of cheese platters at the the feast. (laughs) I like using gorgonzola on top of chicken. Marinate a boneless, skinless breast in balsamic vinegar, salt, and herb de Provence for at least four hours. Grill the chicken over a medium-high heat, turning once. Cooking time will depend on thickness, etc. When coming to the last two minutes of grilling, place some thin slices or pieces of gorgonzola on top. Drizzle a touch of balsamic on top and let it finish cooking. I love how well the flavors mix. Mm. Mm. Flaming cocktails are interesting. They can be fun, but I only ever order when you can tell the bar is not being overworked. So they will have time. There was one I remembered from the past that I can't find the name of, but thought it was along the lines of Lampandina? Lampandina? It was a coffee liqueur cocktail served in a martini glass. Thin layer of 151 poured on top, light, and then put out with a thin layer of cold, sweet cream. Again, only order flaming drinks when the bar is slower, and I personally always ask the bartender if they feel like making it. (laughs) That's nice. That's a good 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 advice. Good advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be be aware. Be aware of what the bar is up to when you're ordering complicated drinks that involve setting fire to something. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, that really made my brain freeze for a second because <laughs> complicated <laughs> drinks that involve setting fire to something. We get up to a lot of stuff. We really do. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I also, I have, I bought Gorgonzola after our episode on it. I have a lot of it. And tonight I'm going to try to make like a pasta sauce out Ooh, of it. Uh-huh. Because I need to use it. it it's more Gorgonzola than single lady needs without a cheese night. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm very excited about it, but I'm not sure how it's going to melt because a lot of things I'm reading are implying to me I need a lot more liquid. Okay. But I'll report back. I'm very excited. I think it's going to taste great, but it's going to be an experiment. Yeah. No, I love love an experiment. And yeah, those, I I think I said earlier that, uh, that, yeah, like as a pasta sauce, was one of the most intriguing things to me because I've definitely never done that. And that sounds so good. Yeah. It does sound really good. (laughs) I just, I'm very excited to do it, but I don't know quite how it's going to turn out because most people use um, heavy cream. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any heavy cream, but I'm going to make it work. Yeah. You'll work it out. Thank you. (laughs) I will. I will. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, uh, apple butter on latkes sounds pretty good. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, why have I never thought of that? Heck. Mm. I mean, just fried potatoes in general. Yes. But Indeed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. with some spiced apple. So good. Huh. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kelsey wrote, you 
barely mentioned Groundhog Day in the Apple Butter episode, so here's an unasked-for lunchbox comic themed around that holiday. It's not really a holiday, I guess, but special day where we collectively consider ground-dwelling rodents uh, is way too much of a mouthful. Um, and, and the comic, the, the, the little single panel comic is attached and, um, and it's this, this groundhog who it looks like is really living its best life. Like it's, it's, it's got like, it's got, it's out like a park, it's got like a blanket and like a book and some snacks and, uh, and you know, some like music playing and a hula hoop maybe to, to deal with later. And, uh, and there's a couple of mice and one of them is going like, wow, what a groundhog. And the other is like, no kidding. It is <laughs> that Groundhog's Day. <laughs> I feel like it's the rodent version of like manspreading. <laughs> he's, taking, he's taking up a lot of space. He's hogging the ground. But he's having a wonderful time. He is. On his day. He, he, yes. is, he is being a groundhog. That is, that is very true. But, yes. but earnestly, it's his day, man. And it looks lovely. Yeah. I, mean, I like this vibe of, you know, I'll, I'll read when I want. I'll nap when I want. Mm -hmm. I'll listen to this music. I got the snacks ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's a good life. <laughs> if you're only coming out like once a day to like look at the weather, <laughs> might as well. <laughs> like once a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might as well make the most of it. Come on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Thank you so much to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. Oh, we are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.